We are not telling you to quit your job. Here at Off The Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast, we are teaching you exactly how to gain your freedom as a healthcare professional in places that school never taught you. This is OTC University and class is in session. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneur Podcast. As always, I'm the captivating, motivating, tentilating, and money-making Mr. Carl Bourne Jr. And I got my main man, Mr. Carlo Chang, in the building. Paul, say what's up to the people. Yes, sir. What's up to the people? I'm back. Carl's back. We're happy to be here. Looking forward to this episode, y'all. But what up? Yes, sir. So real quick, y'all, I just want to apologize for my absence. Um... Your boy is in the final stretch of PT school, so I have been in the clinic, and that's why I've been missing the last couple of episodes, but shout out to Paul for holding it down and um, making sure that you guys still get fed good content, and um, this episode will be another amazing episode, man. You guys know how we do. You know we love to bring you special guests that will help upgrade your life, upgrade your brand, your business whatever we got it all in one place so man today i've actually been looking forward to speaking with this guest for a while now and uh man it's just crazy just so many ways out here to, to to build wealth and today we're gonna give you guys another avenue that can hopefully put some money in your pocket if you take this information that's going to be provided to you and you actually apply it right because don't forget applied knowledge is better than just knowledge so without further ado i do want to go ahead and introduce a doctor of physical therapy who through circumstances outside of his own control chose to focus on the positives as a furloughed pt during the early part of covid and earn some extra money with some side hustles that we're about to get into today so without further ado i want to introduce the healthcare entrepreneur's dream. We got Dr. Deem, Dr. Kadeem Howell in the building. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Yo, yo. How you feeling, man? Guys, honestly, you know, I've been following you guys for a while. I just want to say I'm honored to be on this show. You know, I was like, dang, man, they're, they're, they're really gathering some nice, uh, some nice health entrepreneurs. Like I hope to be on that show one day. now <laughs> oh, man it's it's a pleasure for us bro you know and um we we've seen your journey you know we've seen what you've been able to do and just very very excited to um welcome you into our inner circle and you know as well as be able to kind of provide our listeners with another heavy hitter that's going to drop some gems man so you know, one of the things that we like to do when we start off the show is we always like to start with why, right? Because how can you really talk about a brand or business or your story without explaining the why behind everything? So just right out the gate, man, before we even get into the entrepreneurial side of things, tell us why did you even choose to pursue the field of physical therapy? Um, Carl, that's a great question. Um, so my journey started back. I grew up in Long Island, New York. And um, growing up, my father, his younger sister, 
you know, she was a bright student, 4.0 GPA, full ride to Howard University. Um, shout out to Howard, uh, HBCU. But um, she, uh, she had a seizure and she ended up contracting lupus. So my whole life, I've only known her wheelchair bound. And every time I'd visit my grandmother's house, there was this, you know, there's this woman who'd come by and help her with like pulleys and stretching and all the stuff. And I was like, as a kid, I didn't understand what was going on. I was like, who is this? But little did I know that was my first introduction to what physical therapy was. So my whole time I've known her, I've seen the home PT come to the house every day, doing range of motion, do gait training, because um, she had bilateral AFOs. So I was like, oh, and then like around when I was a teenager, it kind of made sense like, oh, this person's helping her walk again, do all this strength range of motion. I was like, oh, oh, okay, okay. So I was like, that's, I thought that was kind of cool and kind of interesting. And, um, and like many, you know, athletic inclined, you know, people like myself as an athlete, now I was always getting hurt, always in the training room. Um, in high school, my athletic trainer was also a physical therapist. So and he was kind of smart. So he was the ATC for the high school and he just launched his business not too long ago. Um, so he was able to funnel the athletes from the school straight to the PT clinic, you know, you know, you treat them after, you know, after the sports. And then when they got a real injury, like an ankle sprain or knee sprain or anything, go right to the clinic. So, and just from that point on, like, I fell in love. I was like, oh, this is a really dope profession. Like, you know, good vibes, you know, athletic environment. And, you know, and to me, I loved it because it was getting me back to my sport as soon as possible. So that's my first two introductions to physical therapy. I've always been around it. And, um, but believe it or not, that was not something I studied right away in college. Um, I, was, I, I didn't really know at first what I wanted to do. PT was always in the back of my mind somewhere, but like, I was just like, okay, like I really like it, but you know, I was like, I wasn't really sure because I was, um, I, I received an athletic scholarship to University of Albany. Um, I was a track and field athlete. So my major was track and field. You know, I didn't take school seriously at first. <laughs> to be honest with you, like I remember my first semester, my roommate was like, yo, could you this is a textbook class? I said, oh, okay. So I did not go to class and I almost failed. <laughs> and my coach, my head coach at the time was like, listen, you're an athlete, you're on scholarship, you have minimum requirements, go to study hall. <laughs> So that was um, that was the wake up call for me. And also during that time, I kind of really sat down I was like, OK, can you like you mentioned physical therapy? Is this something that you want to do? So I kind of sat down, hammered down, did my prereqs and I just aligned what I was doing to what I had to do to get into PT school. So that's kind of how I got into PT in a nutshell. Man, this is it's always it's always so inspiring and, and just heartwarming to hear the different ways that people get into this field especially when it's like something that was like close to home you know like like you stated um one of the things that I want to ask you in terms of because now that we got through the why let's let's go ahead and let's let's talk about what everybody wants to talk about let's talk about entrepreneurship right let's talk about the business side of things um we know you know, a little bit about your story and, and how you kind of transitioned into that realm. Um, but for the audience, 
Walk us through, describe to us how you transitioned into entrepreneurship and how everything kind of transpired with the vending business and that side of things. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, it, it kind of started at the end of PT school for me. Um, you know, one of our professors, we had like a business lecture. Um, we didn't really learn the business or being entrepreneurship in PT school is just being great PT. And I'm, I'm really grateful for it. Shout out to LIU university in Brooklyn. Um, but my professor, I remember he said something that kind of struck a chord in some people and some people received it positively. Some people negatively said, you'll never be rich being just a PT. And I tweeted that like about a year ago when I started this page and then went viral. Like everyone's like, Whoa, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm about to be rich. And it's like, it's like, you know, if because a lot of people complain about, PT salary, not making enough money. But what he said kind of resume is like, yeah, if you're just a PT, you'll never be rich. And I was like, okay, like if you're just anything, you know, because once you add the just in there, to me, you're already putting yourself at a place that like, it's not good enough. So it's a mindset shift, but also realizing that you have to do something else. Like, you know, it's one source of income, just being a, a, a staffed PT. So that was always just like, oh, okay, like, yeah, like it's probably my day job's not going to make me risk. Just probably going to be doing something else, whether it be opening up a clinic or opening up a side business or what have you not. So I always had that going in my mind. And at a PT school, like my first job, um, like I worked at a cash-based clinic and it was, it was cool because, you know, the, the income was kind of high. And then I had another PT job. And so I was working two jobs. And then I actually took on a celebrity client at the time. So I basically had three jobs and I'm just like, okay, like being a PT, I'm just straight up trading time for money. Like, and it, it was cool and everything, but I was like, yo, like I'm really working hard, but I really enjoyed it. You know, like it didn't feel like work, but at the end of the day, like I had a, you know, my, my, my now wife, then girlfriend, you know, she saw me grinding because I'm basically like out and about, you know, that private client, when he said, yo, can you come treat me? I just said when and where and just got my table and dipped. You know, so I was basically just always on the go and all this kind of came to a crash. So this was in like my first two years of PT school, this is 2016, 2017. Um, and I got a serious injury. Um, those of you don't know, maybe you, you guys know because you're a physical therapist, but I had a grade five AC separation in my shoulder. So my clavicle you know, the collarbone went up here. So it was actually this one popped right up here in my ear. I was playing two hand touch football and just got hurt. So, you know, as you guys probably know, that's a long recovery process. You can't do this job with one arm. I mean, you could try um, some employers would be cool with it, but no, I was, I was laid up for about six months. <laughs> um, you know, it was something unfortunate, but you know, I spent that six months, you know, recovering, doing my own therapy, my, my apartment. And I just had a lot of time to think, you know, I was like, wow, like, you know, my whole PT career is put to a halt based off an injury. Like that's the flow of cash. You know, I didn't have disability insurance. My job didn't offer it. I worked for a small company looking back it would have been cool, but you know, that's why I tell therapists, you know, that's something you need to consider because, you know, especially if you're like a manual therapist, like, if you can no longer use your hands, then what are you going to do for income? Um, yeah, you know, there's some exercise-based therapists, but, 
you know, that's, that's if you're completely hands off, but for the majority, you know, like people outpatient, like if you get hurt or even if it's lower extremity, neck, back, and you're disabled, you know, that's, that's, that's something that's going to affect your income from, for a specific amount of time. So I was like, wow, I can't rely on this one source of income, you know, and this is, and I'm 27 getting hurt, you know, God forbid, you know, I had more liabilities at the time. Like my only source of income is just me. Like that's that, that to me was kind of scary. And I just sat on that thought for six months, like, yo, like, Kadeem, what are you going to do? So, um, and at that time, like probably a couple months prior, actually two months before that injury happened, I bought a rental property. Um, you know, it was one of those things I was searching on when I was in PT school, like near when I was graduating, so I was like, you know, I was looking at PT salaries. And I was like, man, that's it. <laughs> I was like, got a doctorate, damn. But I was like, what are some ways to make some income? And I was like, okay, rental real estate. So, you know, it was rent. It was the rental property I had, and then I had the three sources of income from the three different jobs, and then all that came to a halt. Um, actually, because that rental property wasn't finished yet, I was rehabbing it at the time, so I wasn't even making income from that property yet. So that was kind of like the, oh shit moment in my life. And I was like, yo, we got to, we got to figure something out here, kid. Cause you know, God forbid you get hit by a car, hit by a bus or God forbid something else happens. Like you're going to be laid up again and no income again. So what's, what's, what's the move. So that was like the initial spark to be like, okay, you got to figure something out. Okay. All right. I like that. You actually love, love that you bring that up. Um, Cause that's something that we tend to talk about. And I think that's something I think about constantly. Right that scenario of like, cause I'm, I'm engaged now. If you're listening on the show and you don't know, I'm engaged. So, um, well, you should know, <laughs> but, but the reason I bring it up is cause I, I, I asked, I find myself in that scenario. I'm like, man, you know, what, what would happen if I suddenly wasn't able to do a lot of the stuff that I do now. And I think, you know, it's, it's definitely what was one of the driving factors to get into entrepreneurship, especially being the business, but even in our business and stuff we do, I'm like, bro, if something were to happen and I can't execute on this stuff. So I love the fact that you bring that up because there has to be a way to ensure that even if things go wrong, there's still money coming in because then bills don't stop just because you do. Right. So let, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about this. Let's, let's start with um, the vending machines. One, how did you even like get into that? Because we do road trips, me and my fiance a lot. Mm-hmm. And every time we stop, it's a vending machine. Every time we go <laughs> to the store, there's a vending machine. Every time we go to a laundromat or something, it's a vending machine. At the airport, it's a vending machine. At the dealership, it's a vending machine. So clearly somebody's eating clearly somebody's eating right so help always how 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 (laughs) did you get into this what were some of the things how do you discover it like talk us through that process now you ain't got to give us like a hundred percent of the game people got to pay for that if they need to like (laughs) i know you got the one-on-one i know you got the one-on-ones so if y'all can sign up we'll put it down in the uh show link um if you want to get a one-on-one with kadeem but talk to us man how did you get into the vending machines and and what did that do what was that process like and what was the result what it's brought out of it so so yeah so you know piggybacking off of the idea right like i tried rental real estate and i sold it in 2019 and so i ended up being a flip and then you know fast forward to the pandemic you know and i'm in new york city so i was in like you know where the, the real major first shutdown happened and 
Uh, I got furloughed in March, uh, March 17th, 2020. And Again, I was in that same scenario. I'm sitting at home like, oh, shit, Kadeem, now what? <laughs> you know, this is like, what are you going to do for income? This is before the unemployment check started rolling in, you know, because New York got so delayed. So, you know, it was something I kind of saw in passing with like vending machines, passive income. I was like, low, low startup costs. It's like, okay, let me see. Let me think, let me think about this. So, um, so my aunt, uh, she owns a laundromat. And I remember I'd stop in there a few times to help them fix a couple of things. And I noticed she had vending machines, but they were broken. She just, they haven't worked in like 10 years. So then I was like, okay, how about if I buy a new vending machine, I put it here, would you let me? She said, sure, I'd love to. You know, my customers come in here, they're thirsty. Sometimes the laundromat gets hot in the seven times. Like they just want water. They just want soda. So it's like, all right, cool. So I went on Craigslist. I saw this like rinky dink Coke machine. You know, it looked clean and everything. I paid like $600 for it. Um, it's heavy, but um, the guy I bought it from delivered it to my house. And then from my house, I dropped it off to my aunt's laundromat. And I'm not going to lie, that first machine was kind of slow. You know, it was like one of those machines you just see it says Coke on it. It has like five buttons. You know, when I bought it, my wife was like, no one's going to buy Coke from that machine. Like you can't see the drinks. You know, it's not the glass front ones where you can actually see the selection. Like, no one's going to use it. And she was kind of right. You know, I hate to admit it. She she was listening. She'd be like, told you so. <laughs> but um, that was that was my first machine. And honestly, it's it's weird because if you're someone who's relying on a paycheck all the time, when you f- first make your money outside your job, I don't care if it's five dollars. That feeling you get, like when I opened up that machine, I saw like I think it was like fifty dollars in there, for like a couple weeks. Like that feeling of seeing money you made without your paycheck, I was like yo, this, this shit is different. (laughs) And I was like, and I was like, okay, let's, uh, let's see how this goes. So, so basically that's where I got my start. Um, so it was the height of the pandemic, you know, and I was thinking like, okay, my aunt's laundromat, it's a business that regardless of the pandemic, people need it. Actually, people may need, may need it more because people weren't going to shell out money to all of a sudden buy a washer dryer, or if you're renting, chances are you just don't have room for washer dryer. So my aunt's laundromat was in like a highly, um, a highly dense, densely populated area with a lot of renters. So they were still using the laundromat, like nothing ever happened. You know, she was still open for business. She still has bills to pay. People still have clothes to wash. So that was like, you know, a pandemic proof business. Um, you know, God forbid if another pandemic happens, guess what? People still be washing clothes. No one's gonna be walking around with dirty clothes. So that's why I was just like, okay, this is going to align with, 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 with what I want to do with this. And then from there, you know, so I was, you know, basically I was filling in the machines. It was a little slow. Like I said, that kind of machine probably isn't the best one for that kind of location, but it was just something, just proof of concept. Let me see if I could generate some income in this. So then from there, you know, I just kept collecting money. It wasn't like paying myself. And then I upgraded and bought a new machine. So I, I bought a, so that was considered just like a, um, a soda machine. You know, just one you just put in a dollar, get a soda can. And then I upgraded to a combo machine. So now a combo machine is probably the ones you've seen that were like up top would be snacks and down below would be drinks. And this one had a glass front. So you can actually see the items you got to buy. When I put that one in, ooh, sales jumped like crazy. Uh, you know, it was a more expensive machine, but I used all that money I was collecting from that one machine and basically just dropped it on a new machine. And I was like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're building... We're building some money here doing this, you know, because, you know, you got to account for things like 
gas to go there. You know, that $50, a couple of dollars a month wasn't, you know, it was like break even basically, you know, just to cover, you know, maybe a little bit of profit, but I was like, okay, so this is starting to generate some income now. I was like, okay, okay. And um, from there, I was like, how can I keep this going? You know, I was fortunate enough that I had a location in mind. So I was like, my aunt's laundromat, I got a machine, boom, put it there. Now, if I wanted to keep growing, I was like, okay, well, if I buy a machine, it's just going to sit in my driveway or sit in my garage. Like, I was like, what are, what are some ways that I could keep this going? So one thing that a lot of people do, um, this is what I do. This is how I grew to my business, you know, my side business mostly was I buy vending routes. So um, buying a vending route as opposed to just buying machine and putting it somewhere because so what, those machines are heavy. Those machines probably weigh anywhere from like 600 to 12, uh, 1200 pounds. Now that's heavy. This will crush a grown man. I don't care. It could crush a bodyguard. Like these are very, very large, heavy machines not to be messed around with, um, not to be tilted either. Um, so another convenient way to grow is you buy the machines that are already in a business that's established. So say if like you look on Craigslist or you look on a business website, it says buy this vending route. It contains two laundromats and a public school for like $3,000. So you buy the machines, they're already in places making money and you have the right to keep the machines there. So I was like, okay, this sounds, this sounds easy. It's less moving. So I, you know, I just checked Craigslist and one of the first routes I bought was a, was a public school, uh, a teacher's lounge or a public school so mind you you know it was covid so there was some virtual learning um it was doing a lot more pre-covid so he kind of reduced the price because he was retiring he's like oh the vending business is dead you know the pandemic is the world is over you know but the investor in me and the entrepreneur in me is that when there's panic you know when people are panicking that's the opportunity that's where you swoop in and you, and you grab something at a discount. And I think that's a valuable lesson, you know, if people want to be an entrepreneur, business owner, investors that, you know, you're, you're when, you, when you get tried under intense or adverse moments, like this is where you, this is where you shine, you know, you can't just crumble, you can't just fold. So I saw this as an opportunity. Like, okay. So I, I started buying routes. I bought this route. I bought another route. It was in a, a testing center. I bought another route. Um, that was a warehouse. So I just started buying these routes. And typically these are older gentlemen that are looking to retire because they're the ones who use Craigslist. Young people really don't use Craigslist. So that's my secret sauce. I like Craigslist is my favorite website. You know, people and, uh, you know, people sell things at a discount. You know, they leave usually, you know, pictures of vague description. I was like, okay, this is, this is something I could haggle down with. So I was like, yeah, I meet up with you, blah, 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 blah. So I, that's basically how I grew this vending business of mine is that I was buying routes. I was just buying vending machines already in locations and just scaling from there. So that's, um, you know, that's, 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 that's the secret sauce. If someone really wants to scale and grow, um, but, you know, obviously as the world starts to open and people are vaccinated, you know, people are selling routes, but there's a premium on them now. So now I could, I could turn around and sell these routes that I bought for a decent premium, way more than what I paid for, because now, you know, I improve the cash flow of them is, you know, on paper. So people can see like, oh, okay. Like businesses are opening up. Like I literally bought it at the bottom, kind of like anything like stocks or real estate. Like I bought at the dip and now the things are kind of coming back up is more profitable. They're worth this much more. And I know that 
but I'm still trying to grow my business. So that's where I'm at now. Like I'm still in acquisition mode. Um, I'm still looking to either buy routes um, more so now I'm looking to establish routes. So like I talked about like buying a route versus establishing a route would be, say I call up my local barbershop, you know, my barbershop that I go to, I'm like, Hey man, my man, like I want to put a vending machine here. He'd be like, okay, cool. What vending machines you got? And you know, he tells me what kind of machine he's looking for. And then I go get it, drop it off. I establish a new account. So that I just grew my route. And that's basically what I'm looking to do from, you know, from now on, you know, until I see a good opportunities. But for the rest of 2021, I'm looking to get two or three more locations. You just said something that kind of stuck out to me too. Cause I think, and we talked about it on a previous episode where I think a lot of people, like you said, the person that you were purchasing from was like, the, the, the business is dead, you know, it's over. And I think for a lot of people, they tend not to understand like a lot of, okay, a lot of businesses that tend to be successful are born in times of like crisis. Think about this, right? So when things are going wrong, when it's like, that's when most entrepreneurs are like, bet, it's time to like get after this and actually do the work. And now looking back, imagine if you just hadn't done it, right? Because the vending machine business is dead and, and it's over. And like, imagine if you hadn't done it. So that for the audience, just, just take, take note of that. Like for a lot of people, you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait because you're not sure and you feel like it's not time. Well, this is your sign. What do they say on TikTok? This is your sign. Take it. Like jump on it now because there's never going to be a better moment than right now. Now, the second part I want to ask, because you talked about these vending machine routes, because I never knew those existed in my life. Because mm -hmm. um, I legitimately, I'm learning in real time with the audience. I never knew vending machine routes existed, right? I only just assumed that people bought like literally just a single vending machine, put it at the spot and said, let's go. So let's kind of make this a little practical, right? For the people yeah. that got a little paper and they held on to their pandemic money, and they're yeah. thinking like, let me jump into this, right? In a very basic, very vague way, somebody goes craigslist.com, right? Yeah. Up into the area. What are things that they should be looking out for? Mm -hmm. Because with the good stuff of Craigslist, there's also the other stuff of Craigslist. Oh, yeah. Where you could get got and then you're left looking goofy. So what, <laughs> what are things people should be on the lookout for? Like, what are good signs of like, yeah, that's going to be a good route to purchase Versus somebody that's like, yeah, have this route for a thousand bucks. And somebody's like, have this other route for two grand. Like, mm -hmm. and I don't know what those numbers are like. Those mm -hmm. low at this mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. What, what should people be looking out for? So, yeah, this, you know, Paul, that's a great question. So basically what I tell people and what, you know, kind of what I teach some of my one-on-one -on -one students is, is that you want to, you want to route. It's it basically, you're buying a small business. So First and foremost, you got to look at the numbers. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. So you need to look at what the net operating income is of that vending route. So typically, if I'm looking for a route, I'm not spending more than what that machine grosses in one year. So let's say, for example, I see a route that costs $5,000. That should be making $5,000 a year gross. Now, say an average vending route, just because you have expenses that incur and you have a decent profit margin, it's usually around 50%. So I should be making my money back. That's my bare minimum. I should be making my money back in a year and a half 
from ideally it would be a year, but it's not always a year. I give more, especially now things are opening up. I'd say a year and a half, I should be making my money back, 100% ROI. So that's kind of my first initial metric. If I look at a route, boom, how much does it make? How much is he asking for? After that, then I, I go into, I, I look a little more interested. I'm like, okay, then that's so that's like my first threshold test. So if it doesn't pass that test, I'm not even gonna look at it. So don't send it to me. I'm not worth. I waste my don't waste my time. Like I've had some people I've been mentoring, some students like, oh, what do you think about this route? And I, it doesn't pass that first step. I said, just throw it out. It's like, oh, I can haggle it down. I said, you can try, but you know, it, it, it doesn't look good. Um, and then from there, I usually need to know the type of location it is, the type of business it is. And from there, cause I can tell, like, say for example, like I said, one of my locations is the school now you know, on paper, monthly pickups, that's a great location. It's a school teachers lounges, teachers love to use snacks and drinks, but two months out of the year, it ain't open summer teachers are on break. You know what I'm saying? That's just. Um, that's just like you know, um, a bottleneck of that location. And plus this school's not open up on weekends. So that means I have to service it Monday through Friday. So it really kind of, you know, it's, a, I only have this location still because it's a great location. It does well while it's operating, but those two months it's dead, hundred percent dead. There's nothing going on in the school. Um, that's something I may be looking to flip for a profit. Um, or I'm, you know, I'm looking to hire my first employee. Maybe I'll have them run it because as a PT schedule, I don't have time to be running around. I work, you know, the typical outpatient morning shift, afternoon shift, you know, that doesn't work. <laughs> but um, so that's my first criteria. The first two criteria is how much they're asking for, how much does it make? And then what type of location? Now the bread and butter location is 24 seven. Why? Because it gives you flexibility and you know that that machine's probably making money 24 like literally people say make money in your sleep that location will literally make money in your sleep i have a warehouse and i have a what's called a credit card reader on it so you've probably seen some vending machines they have like you know you, you could put your money in you got a credit card reader i have a report to have uh, i have two machines there that have a credit card readers and when i wake up i get a report from from the day's activity and i wake up i said how much did i make i said ah I love getting that morning email. My, uh, I mean, I should be, I don't really check it every morning, but when I see it's there, I'm like, I made money last night and I just woke up. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's one of those little things. It's just like, yeah, man, I, you know, and it's, it's, it's scalable. And that's what I love about it. I'm like, well, this is just with like a few machines, like this, just, just keep this thing going, man. Just keep reinvest, keep reinvesting. So, you know, um, but to get a little more granular here for the, for the people listening, um, sticking to that 24 seven location. So you think warehouses, Amazon distribution centers, those are some of the bread and butter locations you want where there's employees. And when I say employees, I typically like a home run location, like a location that's going to make you a thousand dollars a month plus is if they 24 seven has over 80 employees. Cause that's a lot of foot track and multiple shifts. That is like the secret sauce to really making a lot of money. Um, in the vending business, but you have to understand is that, you know, that's probably a machine you have to fill up once a week, which is good. It's a lot easier to hire someone if it's a high frequency location, because now you're like, you know, you just, you can have it set up with your guy who's going to fill it up for you. He has constant work. He's happy. You're constantly bringing an income weekly. Um, that's a high, like the warehouse that I'm at, that one makes about a thousand dollars 
a month, just that location from three machines, two drink machines and a snack machine. Um, like I said, now that one, I have credit card readers. So my next step is to have a route runner um, basically operate it for me, you know, because to be honest with you, I'm, I'm looking to, you know, it started off as a side hustle, but now I'm trying to turn into legit business. Like in the pandemic, I was like, okay, let me just do something, make some money on the side. But now I'm like, okay, like I got a credit card reader, got an LLC, you know, I got a business bank account. Now, okay, Kadeem, now it's time to really just turn the side hustle thing into like a legit business and step away. You know, if I want to just, you know, just be a PT, just be a PT, but I'm just a PT with a business. <laughs> so it goes back to that, that first premise I said. So let me, <laughs> yo, I hope y'all are taking notes. This is, this is, this is ridiculous. Let me ask you, bro. And actually I'm, I'm about to, I'm, Paul, I'm about to blow your mind, bro. You know how you said that you had never even realized that routes were a thing? Mm. I want to say about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, Deem, I don't know if you remember this, but you posted something on your story and it was somebody selling a route for, I think it was like 1.5 mil. And I was like, I remember just like sitting there staring, like your story went forward. I was like, no, 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 go back. Like I had to go back and I'm just looking at that. I'm like, I'm like, for real? Like somebody's really asking that amount of money for vending machines? It's lucrative, bro. It is lucrative. Once I saw that, I was like, oh, this, this is serious. Um, but let me ask you, bro, just from a standpoint of for the students that are listening, right? Because we have we have the student demographic that listens to this podcast and they're like, yo, I want to do this or I want to do that, but I just don't have the bread, you know, like mm -hmm. I don't have the bread to go buy like a $5,000 machine, you know, like I might have like an extra like thousand or 2000 that I might be able to, to, to scrape up or something yeah. um, for those, for that target population and demographic that they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm down to hustle. I'm down to, to put some skin in the game. Um, but how can I kind of make this shake with a little less money? What would be, what would be the top three tips or advice you would give them in regards to making that work? So, yeah, I mean, so to get started, like I said, I got started with $600 and a place to put my machine. That's all it took to get started. Now, if, knowing what I know now, like what I tell my students, or some of the people I'm mentoring, Ideally, what you need, 1500 I'll break it down for you. So first things first, mindset change, invest in your education. Get a book on vending. Um, you know, reach out to me. It would be probably the expedited way, YouTube videos. There's free resources right there. It's a little scrambled, but you need the mindset shift and just the basic education of what is the vending business. And then from there, I recommend people start with the branding. You know, pick a logo, either if you're a graphic designer, you know, you make your own logo or your business name, or you go on Fiverr, spend five to 40 bucks and create that logo. And what's so important is the branding your business, because you're going to take that branding and you're going to use it to promote yourself. So not to say like you're coming off as, you know, like fake it till you make it, but you're going to take your branding whether it be, you know, your logo, you're going to take a business, you're going to get some business cards and Vistaprint, just get, let's pay like 40 to $50 in business cards. 
Um, you don't really need a business phone number. You could just use your cell phone number or what I tell people is if you have a Google voice number, use that one. You know, you can make a customized voicemail. So you'd be like, you know, like my name, my, my business, how vending LLC, you could be like, I don't know, OTC vending LLC, you know, and people, so when people call they're like, Oh, this business is legit. Like these guys know what they're doing. So, and like, it's creating that first impression. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, you could count on my numbers there for the math and maybe a little off, but then what I recommend is getting some simple merch. Like I use printful.com. I don't know if you guys are familiar with printful printful is a website. You can make like one-off, um, you know, apparel, hats, t-shirts, pants with your logo. So I just got a polo and a hat. So, you know, when I show up to locations and I cold call and I say, Hey, you know, my name is Kadeem from Howell Vending. I'm the owner, you know, your credibility through the roof is like sky high. You know, like I remember when I first cold call, like just walk in the door, like I was just wearing like my PT polo and like khakis. You'd be like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> like just that little step alone sets you above. And I know some people are like, oh, but like, I'm not the actual vending part. But if you're on a tight budget, the best way to do is to create that branding up front, establish rapport with potential businesses to put a vending machine, then go buy a machine. So I just want to preface that you're going to try to establish who you are, the services you could provide, then you go get the vending machine. Because once you build a strong rapport, chances are that, that you're going to find a company that really wants you there. And that really is probably going to stick with you because some things are going to happen with vending machines. Money gets stuck. Products get stuck. Things happen. But you want to establish a nice rapport with a place that you want to stay for a long term. So once you nail those things, um, like I said, it's a t-shirt, business card, logo, um, cheap website. doesn't have to be anything fancy. You go to Wix.com, Squarespace. Uh, no, just Wix.com is good enough for now. Um, or maybe just a Facebook uh, business page or Instagram business page. Something that you could bring, tra- like not really traffic, but like eyes to. And people be like, oh, wow, like you post your logo. You know, you could take pictures next to other vending machines that aren't yours. In the beginning, people just be like, oh, okay, this guy's got a vending business. Okay. Like it just makes people feel more comfortable. You can even go the next uh, mile. You can create like a, a little uh, pamphlet of your business going over who you are, what you do, machines you could provide. You can just put pictures of machines, kind of products you plan on selling. And, um, you know, the, the, the tippy tippy top to really help win a location I tell people to prepare like a gift basket with like your business cards, some snacks and drinks, you know, put a little pretty bow on it and present it like, oh, you know, so when people see that, they really like you hit them with all the branding pieces you hit them. They're like, oh, okay, these guys mean business. And from there, you build a rapport. Now it's time for to go buy a machine. So at this point, you probably have about like you probably spent about five hundred dollars of that fifteen hundred. So you got about a grand left. So that could get you potentially in the door with at least a drink machine um you know about 60 to 70 percent of vending sales are drink machines snack machines to be honest with you aren't that um they aren't used that often and you know snack machines snacks typically expire faster than drinks so i usually tell people just start with like a drink machine um like if you drive by gas stations like on rest stops usually you'll have just like the outdoor machines it'll just be a drink machine with selections on it. Um, and those typically do well because they're not the glass front ones. Like those ones do good outdoors because people aren't going to break it. But um, say if you do have a location that's indoors, maybe you find like a combo deal on Craigslist. Uh, Offer up is another website I like to use and Facebook Marketplace. Um, lately though, I'd say Facebook Marketplace 
um, is a little more transparency because the, the person who's selling is connected to their Facebook account. So it's not so anonymous. You could kind of put the face to the seller. So people typically feel more comfortable. They feel more comfortable using Facebook. They trust it. Whereas Craigslist, kind of like what you allude to, it's like, you know, it's that, that single blind. It's like they knew who I, you know, or they really know what's going on or who they are. They didn't post any pictures. I'm going to meet them in a back alley for a vending machine. Like it could come, come off kind of sketchy, scummy. Whereas Facebook Marketplace, you know the location where they say they're at. It's, it says that we're on there. You can look at their Facebook profile, find out who they are, where they went to school, maybe have mutual friends. So I definitely say it'd be like Facebook Marketplace, offer up, and then Craigslist. But I will say you find better deals on Craigslist. But again, it's that risk we talked about. Um, sorry, guys, I think it cut out. But um, uh, so basically, um, those are like the top three places I recommend on a tight budget. Um, if you have like, say, if you have a little bit more room in your budget, say you have another 15 to two grand to play with after you get your branding materials in, I typically recommend you search vending warehouses in your area. So just go on Google, just search vending warehouses. So these vending warehouses are basically small mom and pop companies, sometimes very large ones, but there's a lot of small mom and pop companies. They buy used vending machines, they fix them up, they put in new internals, new credit card reader, new bill acceptors, accepts the bills, new bolts and nuts and gears in the machine, new lights, and they sell them refurbished. So now those are probably the cream of the crop, best, best machines to buy. I even prefer them better than, um, I prefer those better than brand new machines because just like getting a computer, like sometimes, yeah, off the belt, you, know, you get a brand new computer, but sometimes refurbished machines, they get more thoroughly inspected because they were literally going through each component, testing them, each one, make sure they come, they're good again and they're off. And vending machines, these things last for a while. You don't necessarily need to go brand new unless the location requires it or it's like an upscale kind of place. Like you could go to Equinox and they want a vending machine. They probably want some brand new sparkling thing right off the showroom. You know, they don't want no rinky dink Coke machine. They don't care how much money you can make them. You know, it has to fit the aesthetic of the location. Because um, my oldest vending machine, believe it or not, is from the 1970s. And that thing is a beast. Uh, it's my favorite machine. It, it holds like 600 cans. Like this thing is a monster. Like, and it's so uh, that thing sells out. Like I only sell, I only sell the drinks for like 85 cents at the warehouse. Cause you know, cans are annoying, but like it, it, that thing is a monster. That is a monster, monster machine. And it's, it's 50 plus years old and it still works. So these machines are built to last. Brandy is not necessary unless your location requires it. So, you know, and if you have the money, the pecking order I say is refurbished, Facebook, offer up Craigslist. And if you're on Craigslist, offer up each machine, you could get one, you can get a drink and a snack machine for $500. Um, you may have to look a little bit more, they may be a little bit older, but you can find one just to get started. So, um, <laughs> yo, you're dropping so much game, bro. Um, oh my gosh. Listen, in terms of so with with your um with your vending machine business, bro, mm -hmm. is it is it you and your missus? Like does she does she go on runs as well? Does she like like um do that stuff also? And I'm I'm asking I'm asking for a reason. Um I went on Vistaprint. And when I was on Vistaprint, like I was like, I, I had the shirts for the logo 
But what I realized though, cause it's me and it's my girl. What I realized though, is that they didn't have um, like women's polos. So I was gonna ask you if you had any recommendation with that. Um, as far as like, if you and your missus do go, like if you just like got her like a men's small or something, you know, and that worked. Um, and then I have some more follow-ups, but I just, I gotta take care of that real quick. Yeah, good question. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's primarily for me, it's just me. Okay. Um, you know, you know, my wife is, and it's, she's kind of the driving force why I want to hire someone. She's like, you're always running off doing vending machines. <laughs> so she's right. I kind of created another job, even though the, the generation part's passive. It's like, okay, now it's time to really step back. And uh, the credit card reads are allowing me to do that. But no, I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not too familiar with Vista Print's platform for printing shirts, but I would check out Printful. For I'm sorry. Shirts. I'm sorry. I meant Printful. I meant Printful. Oh, Printful. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Printful. Yeah, I would check out Shirtsy. Shirtsy. Shirtsy.com. Yeah, you know, and that's a, you know, if you like, if you have a business, you could build like a net 30 account with them. So that's kind of helpful and helps with cash flow and build your business credit if that's something you're interested in. Um, so I would check them out too, because I've seen a few women promote shirtsy.com. So I would assume they have women's polos, but don't quote me. You know, I've seen women wearing polos and yeah, they wear like the men's straight ones and, you know, kind of looks, you know, I wouldn't say unprofessional, but like it would look a little nicer if it was more like a slim fit. Um, right. So I, I definitely know what you mean, but no, it's just me. And I have my cousin in the laundromat. He's my only like fake employee. Like yeah. he helps me. It just saves me on a trip. Like I'll leave storage, like my machine, I have storage underneath, um, like locked in the machine. So he fills them up for me, sends me a picture. I check their credit card reader slip and I'm like, okay, fill those boom, boom, boom. Okay. Um, and then in terms of the business, just from a standpoint of actually now this, this is cause I feel like we have some momentum here with the conversation, right? Like we're, we're literally giving y'all steps on how to do this and how to work the ins and outs. So the next thing that I kind of wanted to get into is just from a standpoint of like, okay, like, like, I feel like, like I got my branding stuff, you know, I have all that together um, or I at least have my cards. I, I have my, my, my shirt or my hat, you know, whatever that I want to use um i got the website you know i got a nice little picture of me smiling next to somebody else's vending machine um, <laughs> how how do i go about now besides like you talked about you know craigslist you talked about facebook marketplace you talked about offer up but how do i go about because you mentioned as well like these 24 7 spots also right you talked about yeah. houses and and you know um being able to hit them up for the vending machines as well and and being able to provide your services what does it look like to be able to reach out to just different businesses in general like is it just strictly am i just like i'm gonna have to keep cold calling um, if I'm not cold calling, am I getting a, a virtual assistant to do it for me? If so, what, what does that process look like? What are the different channels to kind of go about prospecting for your locations and then actually following up um, to kind of ensure that you can get some rapport and some business going as well? 
So yeah, Carl, great question. So yeah, that's basically the next step now um, after you get your marketing materials. So cold calling, that's the you know most time effective, you know, especially if you're a busy healthcare entrepreneur. Um, you know, you don't really, you don't always have that time if you're you know, around working, doing notes. So you just got to fit that in somewhere. So I stick to cold calling. I like designate a couple hours on a Saturday or like I pick a weekday that I'm free just to mix it up weekday and weekend and a cold call. So, you know, I'm going to provide a free cold calling script so you can see the, what I kind of use, but it's, it's real simple. It's just saying, Hey, my name is Kadeem from Howell Vending, you know, and I just say, are you, is your company interested in vending machines? Um, vending machines have been proven to improve employee morale and customer satisfaction and leads to higher revenue growth for companies because now they have less, they have less time of employees taking breaks because now it's convenient for them. They have the snacks on site. They don't have to take extended lunch breaks, go all the way there, come back, you know, be a little lethargic in the comeback. It's like, oh, they need a quick pick me up. Boom. Or if they need to get lunch, boom, it's right there. A quick drink. The employees are going to be thirsty if they're working hard. You want to keep them active as best as you can. And there is research to support that as well. So I usually lead with that. And that usually catches some people's eyes. Um, you know, and what I'll do is I, I kind of like, so I kind of stick to my, my hometown and my area. Like I'll like, okay, like today I'm going to Google search all the barbershops in this area and I'll write them all down, write down the address, the number, name, and I'll go like, okay, laundromats go down. You know, it's going to take some time you mentioned a VA, that's probably something I need to look into. That's something I was, yeah, I've been advised to do this sometime because I could just make that list, give the VA that, that cold calling script and they just, they, they do it for me. You know, automation is something I'm trying to work on. Like I said, we're hiring someone. So that's probably the next step for me to grow, to step away. But that's a definitely, you know, if you, if you're good at, you know, delegating tasks like that, that would be a huge step to just offload that. Cause you're going to, like, I've gotten, pure no's, you know, um, I got a lot of maybes, but I'd say more no's. Um, you know, I haven't really, uh, actually I'm in, I'm in talks with one location, so I can't say I got a, a definitive yes with cold calling, but it's a long game. You know, you're, you're saving money cause you're just establishing the route yourself. So you don't have to pay the premium as buying a route, but that is definitely the way to go. And you just got to keep cold calling, keep following up. You know, a lot of the places I said are maybes, I cold called them. And they were on the fence, but now I follow up with them. I follow up with them. And I feel like a lot of people give up on the follow-up and the follow-up I think is good, really going to set you apart. You know, it's, it's, it's a long game. You know, the buying the routes part is the quick R, quicker ROI, but you're paying a premium for it. So, you know, I think a combination of both, depending on what your budget fits, most people, if you're starting out, the, you know, the, the establishing a route is probably the way to go. But even, even before you even get there, kind of like what I did, I thought, who do I know who owns a business? Or who do I know maybe has a business in a building? You know, start there. Who do I know lives in an apartment building? You know, I mentioned warehouses, but apartment buildings are sometimes the most profitable locations because it's 24-7. It's a lot of people. Say it's like a 100-unit apartment building. You have over 200 people in that building that constantly, like, if they want late-night munchies, where are they going to go? Campus housing. Campus housing is a gold mine. Typically, though, I will say, you know, probably start a smaller school. Like if you go to University of Florida, they're going to like, they probably already have someone, <laughs> you know, if, if you go to like a, maybe like a junior college, like a smaller school, like you could probably get set up in the dorm rooms there. And, you know, it doesn't, you, you could put the simplest machine. Yes. You probably have to deal with the nuances of 
like if you have a glass machine, they probably break it. You know, you, you know, like you do, you can get insurance. I have insurance. Um, it doesn't cost that much and it insures all my machines and my inventory. Um, but I usually don't tell people to focus on the insurance as to get started. You don't necessarily need that, but as you grow, you're definitely going to want to have some type of insurance, you know, cause you just have a lot of liability out there, especially us medical practitioners. You don't want to have liability on you, but, um, you know, so I think like, look within your network, you know, um, even some medical buildings, like most of us listening to this are in the medical field. Like you'll, if you're in a large medical building in the lobby, say if there's like, you know, multiple practices, like there's doctor, PT, OT, speech, you know, internist, there may be in that building's lobby, a vetting machine, or there isn't one. And you're like, oh, who can I speak to the management? I actually have a proposition for them, you know? And, you know, like I said, most of us is in healthcare. You've probably walked a hospital 24-7, employees and patients slash customers 24-7. Like uh, I've looked at a few locations. Hospitals are very expensive. There, there are uh, vending routes in hospitals for sale. They're typically very profitable and they're very expensive, but um, gold mine location. Again, it, it follows the same principle, 24-7, typically over 80 employees. Look how many different disciplines are in a hospital. And you also have patients. So that one is a, that's, that's, that's the home run location. It's a hospital for sure. And you know, hospitals. Just gonna leave that one there. You know, hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been to one. <laughs> hey, um, I'm gonna, well, th- this is what I want to know. More so when it comes to, especially, and I guess if, if this is something you don't want to share, then don't, by, by all means. Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of people, because sometimes I feel like people just need to hear like a tangible like number, right? Yeah. And so this is the number I'm going to ask, not like how much you're making. Yeah. Especially with a lot of these um, locations, when mm-hmm. it comes to saying like, okay, hey, here's a software, this is what it's going to do for you. And the location is like, all right, you got to pay us like basically like you're paying rent or something like that. Is that something that happens in the industry or do like most places just be like yeah you could put something up here as long as it brings traffic yeah so kind of like what i was saying like you know that little pamphlet i make that kind of goes over my business um i don't even bring up commission um i basically bring it from a value add standpoint that i'm adding value to your business um, I already went over like the research behind that and it leads to like happier customers and happier employees. Like that alone is the value add of what I'm doing. And what I've noticed is that sometimes these larger, like, like a hospitals, um, like warehouse, like they don't ask for commission because they want to have vending machines. Like they want that for their employees, like, vent, like warehouses, like their workers are grinding. What I do find though, um, is that typically smaller, like, like, like basically like my aunt's laundromat. Um, she doesn't charge me commission, but typically laundromats, they'll, they'll, they want a commission. Why? It's because that's a high expense business or like a mom and pop business. Like they're looking at, you know, they're running their own expenses. Maybe they have like an accountant helping them. They're looking at line by line item. So like, they're going to be like, okay, the electric bill of your machines, you know, they're eating in my profits or whatever. You know, so they'll typically ask for commission. Um, 
But, you know, if you go to like a larger company, even one of my, it's my smallest and my least profitable location. Like I honestly don't make, I don't make any money. Like, I mean, when you consider gas and stuff, one of my locations I recently acquired, um, it's at a, uh, it's at a, it's at a, it's not really a shelter, but it's for home for, for boys who are like, you know, at risk situations at home to give them alternate housing, you know, and I kind of do it. Cause like, you know, I'm in the healthcare field and, you know, and like, I just like, and sometimes the boys sit there and like, how we're having this conversation. Like they see a young black man coming entrepreneur. And like, like I was sitting down with this gentleman who's going to Syracuse on an academic scholarship. I just listened to his story. I was like, wow, like, this is crazy. He's asking me like, yo, like, how can I do something like this? I want to be like you. Like, I see you doing your thing, you know, and I tell him I'm actually a physical therapist and I just do this on the side. And he's just like, blows his mind. So like, you know, there, like, that's a New York city run organization so like those large organizations they don't sometimes they don't even ask for commission because they just want the service for whoever they're serving so i usually come from that standpoint first and commission never gets brought up you know if it does get brought up it, like it has in a few times um like i had a location that i ended up selling it was in williamsburg brooklyn and um they wanted to commission you know and i try to talk them down because you know i tell them like over 10 percent is really cutting my profit margins um so you know, I say if, if they really want to commission, you could talk it down, um, but try not to go too high because at that point, it's like you're just you're not really making any money. So, Dean, one of the things we do on the show as well, um, I think we started doing it this year, actually, but we have a, like a black health segment, you know, and essentially for us, it's just a segment where we can kind of educate people you know on something that um affects our people right affects the black community um from a healthcare standpoint so i'm going to get into that real quick um for today's black health segment uh people of all races and ethnic groups can develop lupus women in particular develop lupus much more often than men and nine of every ten people with lupus are women but lupus is three times more common in African-American women than in Caucasian women. It is not known why lupus is more common in African-Americans. Some scientists think that it's related to genes, but we know that hormones and environmental factors play a role in who develops lupus as well. Um, there's a lot of research being done in this area. Um, so you know, for the most up-to-date information, you can continue to kind of check out different resources on Google, um, different scholarly sites. And uh, you could also volunteer for some of these important research studies if that's something that's interests you. But uh, for today's Black Health segment, that is what we got on lupus. So one more question for you, man. And I want to first off say thank you for spending the last i don't know it must be like an hour and some change now i don't know but um thank you for dropping all this game and knowledge because a lot of people need this and they need to know like there's so many ways out here to make money you just literally have to just execute like you just have to do the thing you know um so thank you bro for providing the value to not only our guests, but to us as well, because this is something that interested both of us um, tremendously. And um, before you go, I just want to ask you, 
just kind of looking at the the way things are you know like we talked a little bit earlier about how you know towards the beginning of covid at what was the height of the pandemic or i mean what really is the height we're still going through it but <laughs> at the beginning you know you kind of talked about being able to buy like what we would say in stocks or crypto buying the dip right and being able to kind of work off of that so just for anyone who is listening and they're like still like this sounds interesting but you know i just i still don't i still don't really know like you know can i really do this can can i make this work um is this something that really is going to be profitable for me what would be your parting advice for anyone listening that they might just need that little extra push to get them to finally do the thing well number one is is mindset you know you really got to dig down and, and say to yourself like do i want to create a different path for my life do i want to have something that's going to help me pay down student loan debt do i want to have something that's going to have me uh to save money to say invest in real estate to invest in crypto because you know a lot of people like the negatives like oh you know i don't like the situation i'm in i don't like the amount of money i'm making well you know you have to find a way to basically you know buy income you know i like to say vending machines are buying income and it's a long game you know it's it's not it's not quick money you know anything that's quick money is it's probably fool's gold in my opinion um unless you caught crypto at a good time but um <laughs> but no but in, in all in all seriousness um is you know be a student of the game whatever it is you want to do and you know have conviction be impeccable with your word and reinvest reinvest your knowledge reinvest your money and just keep reinvesting 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 and that's going to compound knowledge compounds money compounds and if you just stay the course you'll get what you're looking for perfect i can think of a better way to end the episode uh thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you we can't say it enough you know but we really do appreciate you spending the time with us and just looking forward to see the people that take action from you know this episode you know and seeing what they're able to to build and and create you know and one thing that i'll say in closing as well is i like to look at entrepreneurship as continuously looking for a vehicle to get you to another destination you know and i dig it i like i like the fact that you can start off here doing what you're doing and then say you know what I'm going to take some of this profit and I'm going to put it into a property. You know, I'm going to take some of that money from the property and I'm going to open up a brick and mortar clinic, you know, from the money, the profit that I made from flipping the property. You know, like there's there's so many different ways to to build wealth and I think in our community we don't we don't get that a lot you know we don't get that enough and so it's always good to see trailblazers such as yourself 
being able to kind of show a different route, you know, in a different way to make things shake because we need to see that, you know, just like you never know what that 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 young uh, black boy that you touched is going to do in the next three years, year, five years. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's what it's about right there is the impact, the legacy, you know? So, man, just keep doing what you're doing. And for anyone listening, that's like, this is their first time being exposed to you. What would be some contact info or like social media information you would want to leave with them? Yeah, so basically the main way to reach out to me is my Instagram. That's probably the platform I'm the most active on. So you can follow me at Dr. Dean on Instagram. Um, Twitter, I think my Twitter is uh, just Kadeem Howell. Someone else took Dr. Dean. I'm a little pissed off about that. but <laughs> So you can follow me at uh, Dr. Dean on Instagram and uh, Kadeem Howell on Twitter, but more so on Instagram. <laughs> nice. Oh, <laughs> hey, whoever took that handle, you got to give it back, man. You're not the real Dr. Dean. Yeah, real Dr. Dean, please stand up. <laughs> no, man, once again, bro, thank you so much, man. To our lovely listeners, guys, if you got some value from this podcast episode, hit Dean up, you know, hit him up for those one-on-ones as well. If this is something that you're you're serious about doing and um, you need some guidance, you know, because why reinvent the wheel when you have somebody in real time that's doing it and that can help you do it? Um, matter of fact, I didn't even know. I was oblivious to the fact that you were doing one-on-ones now, bro. So definitely going to holler at you. But um, to our lovely listeners, thank you. Thanks for listening. Go do us a favor. Go to the OTC podcast page on Apple please scroll all the way down to the bottom, write a review, letting us know why this episode was so impactful for you. And also click the little five stars, you know, give us a little five-star rating, man. We keep telling y'all this because we're tired of y'all messaging us and texting us how good the episode was. Leave it on the podcast page, please. So other people know how beneficial um, OTC is, you know, and we do this for y'all. We do this to continue to help us level up you know and we're going to keep doing it for as long as we can so without further ado until next next time peace many blessings thank you for listening to another episode of off the clock don't be shy to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast see you next episode